Welcome to the Invictus Church Podcast. We're grateful that you've chosen to listen, and we want to invite you to join us each week as we upload new content. Our prayer each week is that those who listen in would not just be stirred or inspired, but also changed. Now, get ready for life change with this week's message from Invictus Church. Well, welcome everybody to week number four of First Disciple. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to First Peter uh, chapter 1, and we're going to be looking first at verses uh, th- well, at 3 through 8 uh, today. Uh, we'll look at just a few of those verses at the beginning and then more of them further down the road. Um, excuse me, I shouldn't have eaten that burrito last night. Um, <clears throat> but <laughs> uh, we're going to be looking at uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. So uh, turn in your Bibles there. Uh, we're, we're in week 4 of a series that we're calling First Disciple. It is about the life of Peter who was technically the third disciple of Jesus, but he's usually the first disciple that people think of when they start thinking of uh, the disciples of Christ. And so we're looking at Peter's life, and I want to review real quick by showing you a graphic that we've used over the last few weeks um, uh, that we call the sinkhole. And uh, so go ahead and throw that graphic up there, uh, if you will. There we go. Uh, The sinkhole. We're going to kind of review the sinkhole by looking uh, and reviewing the life of Peter and what that looks like. Essentially, a sinkhole is when you're cruising along in life, everything seems to be going well, and uh, you're excited about the future, but then the pavement kind of crumbles underneath you. A giant hole is revealed. Some kind of tragic, difficult, painful, agonizing thing enters into your life, and you crash all of a sudden, and you're frustrated wondering where was God what was what is he doing Uh, why isn't he helping me why isn't he uh, getting me out of this why did he allow this bad thing to happen and uh, it becomes very difficult for us to navigate those sinkholes in our lives and to sometimes move beyond them there are many 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 people in the world who spend years and years and years stuck in a sinkhole because they just can't seem to move past the pain and move past the difficulty in their lives. And uh, it's a tragic place for people to live. If you've ever known somebody who is uh, uh, stuck in the past and uh, many times stuck in the present and in the pain of what's going on rather than finding hope in the future that God has for them, uh, you know that they struggle from day to day to day to day uh, to uh, feel a sense of normalcy, uh, to feel a sense of excitement, to feel a sense of peace, to really experience joy. Uh, They are focusing on what is painful, and it's really, really hard for those folks uh, to, to many times make a turn and to come up out of the depths of despair and discouragement. And uh, many times, those folks are us. Uh, if we're honest in this room, we would, we would say to each other, you know what, there have been times when I've been stuck in the sinkhole, <clears throat> and maybe you're stuck there now. Uh, the Apostle Peter knows what that's like. Uh, in this illustration, uh, the first X that you notice up there uh, at the, the beginning of this funny little curve is where Peter began to follow Jesus. He came to him and he said, follow me. And Peter was excited about following Jesus. And he gave up his entire livelihood. He gave up his career and started to follow Jesus. And uh, when you think about what that means, it's pretty profound because the Bible says that Jesus, the Son of Man, had no place to rest his head. That means Jesus was a homeless transient. All right? Many times when you're downtown and you see all the homeless people, you try to kind of avoid them. What if one of them all of a sudden walked up to you and said, follow me? Would you you give up everything and follow that homeless person? Probably not. (laughs) But that's what Peter did. He said, I'm going to follow Jesus, this guy who has no place to rest his head, and I'm going to dedicate my life to this guy. And so Peter began this journey of faith, and he began to grow in his faith as he saw Jesus work miracles, and as he listened to Jesus teach profound things about life and death and heaven and God and money and all of these things that Jesus talked about. And uh, Peter was excited to learn all of this stuff, and he was so proud of the fact that Jesus had chosen him to be one of his followers, and he was just wrapped up in this exciting life of being a follower of Christ. And uh, Jesus was doing so many amazing things. He was becoming famous. People from all around would say, man, I want to be near Jesus. I want to touch Jesus. I want to see Jesus. I want to hang out with Jesus. I want Jesus to heal me. I want Jesus to fix my life. And uh, Peter was a part of that and got to see all of it. It was very, very, very exciting. Uh, And he grew all the way up to this point where Jesus Asked the disciples, who do the people say that I am? 
And uh, the disciples answered, well, people are saying you're, you're a great teacher, you're a miracle worker, you're uh, one of the prophets. And uh, Jesus said to the disciples, but who do you think that I, that I am? And Peter was the only one who answered. And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, this was hugely profound, and it was a massive revelation to Peter. In fact, Jesus said, nobody taught you this except God. The Lord revealed that to you, Peter. And what did the Lord reveal to Peter? Well, the, the Jewish religion had for centuries been focused on the future. Uh, the, the Jews were great at getting out of the sinkhole because they weren't focused on the pain of the present. They were focused on the hope of the future, of what God would be doing in their life down the road. And um, they would uh, uh, consider this Messiah the promised one, the anointed one of God who would be coming to deliver them and ultimately deliver them from their sin. And they would hang all of their hopes on this Messiah. And there were hundreds of years of prophecies made about Jesus, uh, about the Messiah, the, the Christ, the one who would come and deliver the people of Israel. And Jesus was the one who came and began to fulfill those prophecies. And Peter was the first person to go on record and say, you are the culmination of all of those prophecies. You are the fulfillment of the entire Jewish religion. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He was the first person to go on record and say that and acknowledge it. And Jesus praised him for it. And so, I mean, can you imagine how good it would feel to have Jesus give you a pat on the back? I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? And Jesus is there praising the Apostle Peter for this revelation that uh, he had understood and grasped and acknowledged. And, and so there he is. He's coming up at this high point in his life. Go ahead and throw that graphic back up there if you would. Um, because he's at this high point, that little second X there. Man, I'm, I'm getting this right on. Have you ever been through like a difficult study or course uh, school or somewhere else and uh, it was challenging and you felt like you were learning but at some point you kind of had a breakthrough and you're like okay finally I think I can get this maybe for you it was geometry or algebra or um, English and you finally figured out what it meant to conjugate a verb you know and it was like this big boom moment and uh, I have hope I think I can get through this anybody ever had one of those moments well that's kind of where Peter is he's like I'm, I'm getting this I'm getting this I'm excited about the future and then not long after that this moment happens in Peter's life that we call a crisis of belief. It's that third X that you see there. It's near the, 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 the high point of your life, and uh, maybe you're at a high point now, and things are going great for you. Well, brace yourself, because it's very possible that a crisis of belief is right around the corner. Uh, and that's where something bad happens. The ground falls out from under you, and there's a sinkhole in front of you, a difficult season ahead of you, and you're going to have to go through that, and you have to figure out, what am I going to do when I'm in that difficult situation? The Apostle Peter had this painful event happen, and this was when Jesus, who was the Messiah, the sinless Son of God, who had never committed a crime, never done anything wrong, it, in fact, when Jesus stubbed his toe on a, on, a, on a coffee table in the middle of the night, Jesus didn't cuss. That's how perfect he was, okay? And the apostle Peter got to live life with Jesus and experience everything that Jesus wanted him to experience, and suddenly Jesus gets arrested and taken away and put on trial, and he's going to be killed if he's found guilty. And that freaked Peter out. He had a crisis of belief, a moment where he's like, should I continue to believe or shouldn't I? And Peter, we found out last week, uh, and the week before, that he denied Jesus. When Jesus was on trial, people were asking Peter, aren't you one of his disciples? And he's like, no, I don't even know the guy. And he denied Jesus three times, and when he realized what he had done, he was brokenhearted over it, and he went away and he wept and he cried, and he had to start wondering, is Jesus mad at me? Could Jesus forgive me? Do I have what it takes? A little while back, I thought, I'm getting this. Now I'm wondering if I ever really got it. And he entered into the sinkhole. Jesus was dead. But then Jesus came back to life. And even then, when he saw there's hope, Jesus was alive. Peter, we find, was still wrestling with being in the sinkhole. Should I go back to my old life as a fisherman? 
or should I continue forward with what Jesus had planned for me? And he experienced this moment that we saw last week where Jesus met with him one-on-one and forgave him and loved him and encouraged him and pointed him to the future and said, my future for you is that you would be a shepherd for my people, my sheep, that you would love them and guide them and teach them and protect them and help them. And so Peter knew he had a new career in front of him. He went from this time of great despair to a time and a season of his life where he had great hope. And Peter learned a valuable lesson that to get to that fourth X on this diagram, you've got to look to the future and to the hope that you have in Christ to get you through the dips, the sinkholes, the painful experiences of your life. And then last week we expanded this diagram and you saw a chart with lots of peaks and valleys and it continued to grow. And uh, what we see there is that that's a pattern in the life of a person who's a Christian. A person who's a follower of Jesus and who uh, is able to hang on to their faith and remain faithful to the Lord, they will experience many dips, many sinkholes in their lives. But they'll also experience a trend where they're growing consistently over time. And what happens is when you stick with Jesus through your sinkholes, you'll be able to look back on your life and you'll say, you know what, over the last 10 years, over the last five years, over the last two years, over the last 30 years, whatever, God has profoundly changed me and I have grown. This is how discipleship actually happens. Discipleship doesn't happen in the context of a classroom. Believe it or not, discipleship does not happen in the context of an auditorium full of people listening to a guy with a degree talk about the Bible. Discipleship happens when you are with fellow believers and when you are able to navigate the painful times in your life and stick with Jesus because Jesus uses pain as a megaphone in our lives to get attention, get our attention, and to move us on to other things that he has intended for us. Now, does Jesus cause all these bad things to happen to us? No. Many bad things that happen in our lives are not God's intention. God does not intend for people to commit a crime and to violate and damage your life. God does not intend for people to, um, uh, to sever relationships over stupid things and get mad at you and hold a grudge forever. God does not intend those kinds of things to happen. But God makes a promise in his word, Romans 8, 28, God uses all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. He can use every sinkhole to shape you and mold you and turn you into the person that he wants you to be. And therefore, we can have this pattern in our lives of continual growth even through times where we have dips and doubts in our faith. And this is the pattern that Peter grasped through all of this sinkhole experience in his life. And today we're going to be looking at what he wrote 30 years after Jesus forgave him and once again said to him, follow me. Now, before we get there, what happened immediately after Jesus ascended into heaven, he had forgiven Peter, and Peter was excited now about his faith again. He was his, he'd been restored. He was pumped up. And, and Peter got to preach in Acts chapter 2 uh, to a bunch of people in Jerusalem. And uh, on the day of Pentecost, he preached one sermon, and 3,000 people became Christians that day. I mean, this dude built a mega church with one sermon in one day. He's every pastor's hero, right? I mean, it's just every pastor dreams of that. Uh, and Peter got to experience it. 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus, and they have a mega church overnight with all these brand new baby Christians who are just now growing in their faith, and they didn't know what to do with them all, but they figured it out. And it wasn't very organized. I'm sure it was a terrible mess, and there was lots of bumps along the way, but Peter was able to stick with that. And, and, and then we see in Acts chapter 3, Peter runs into a crippled beggar, somebody who had been unable to walk and who sat outside the city gates holding a, a, a can or some kind of a container begging for money so that he could eat. And Peter walked by the guy, and Peter said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And this crippled guy got up and walked. Now, can you imagine how cool that would be? Uh, there was a time in my life, it was a little over a year ago, 
um, when I was working with a church, uh, visiting lots of people in the hospital. It was a church with a lot of older folks in the church, and so there was lots of people who would get sick and who were homebound and that sort of thing. And so I was going and visiting these homebound folks and people in the hospital, and I went to see one lady in the hospital who was sick. And I don't remember exactly what she had, but uh, she had talked about uh, organ failure and uh, organs were starting to shut down. And the doctors had told her, you'll probably never leave the hospital. Um, This is uh, probably the end of your life and there's really no hope. Uh, So prepare yourself, get your family in here, tell them you love them, all of that kind of stuff. And I prayed for this lady and I prayed for healing, prayed that the Lord would heal her. And uh, I prayed that prayer like I've prayed thousands of other times as a pastor um, for many other people, and I never saw those people healed. Um, And so the truth be told, I didn't really expect much. Um, I I prayed that more for a sense of hope in her, to be honest, than I really believed that she would be healed. You know, it was just like kind of my pastoral duty. And uh, I went back to visit her in the hospital a couple days later, and her room was empty, and the nurse said, it's amazing, we can't explain it. She went home and she's perfectly fine. I mean, never before has that happened in my life. I don't know if it'll ever happen again, but there's no explaining anything except that it was the power and the name of Jesus that healed this woman. And Peter got to experience that many times. He saw Jesus do this and he knew, you know what, if I have just a little bit of faith, This crippled man can be healed, and it happened. And so Peter is growing once again, coming up out of that sinkhole experience. And then in Acts chapter 4, he's standing before the Sanhedrin, which is the the, uh, uh, religious leaders and the religious rulers uh, uh, over the Jewish society. And he's speaking to them and preaching to them. He and uh, another disciple named John, and these ruling uh, elders, if you will, over the Jewish faith listened to these men and were in awe of them. And scripture says that they observed that these were just unschooled and ordinary men But it was remarkable because it was apparent that they had been with Jesus. And Peter, this average dude, God was using in a way above average way. And uh, what an exciting season in Peter's life. Now, is this the same guy that denied Jesus? Yeah. It's proof that you can get through the sinkhole. Was everything in his life fixed? Nope. But he was excited because his hope was in the future that God had for him rather than his eyes being stuck on the past and on his pain. Now, let's fast forward about 30 years. And here's where we find where Peter is writing the book that we now call 1 Peter. He's writing to Christians in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and uh, he's writing from Rome, and he's writing in a context where Christians are living in a completely pagan culture, uh, meaning not Christian culture, all right? Completely pagan. Uh, America, where we live, was founded on Judeo-Christian values. These are values that come from Judaism and Christianity, and so it's a very Christian-friendly country. And uh, although many times we bemoan the fact that uh, things are changing in America and it's becoming less Christ-friendly and, uh, you know, we we look at things like uh, bakers who refuse to bake a cake for a same-sex wedding, they're called bigots, they're treated uh, unfairly by the the press, they're taken to court, they're told they can't have a livelihood, Uh, and certainly there is some some persecution of Christians in America today, but nothing like what we saw here. What we saw at this time, 30 years after Jesus had raised from the dead and lots and lots of people had been following Christ, there was massive revival in Jerusalem, thousands and thousands of Christians. Christianity was spreading all over the world like wildfire, but Christianity became illegal. And at this particular time, a man named Nero was the, uh, the Caesar of Rome, and this guy had it in for Christians. And so Peter is writing to these Christians in a totally pagan culture at a time where they were rejected and insulted and despised and persecuted. And in that world, this is where Peter writes these words. 1 Peter chapter 1, 
starting in verse 3. All praise to God, our Father, of, uh, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled beyond the reach and change of decay. And through your life, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Now Peter writes some words here that are very, very hopeful and super positive in a world that didn't seem very hopeful or positive for Christians. In a world that was a sinkhole for Christians. Peter was saying, it's all good. In fact, it's all great. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he tells us several things that are going to help us grow in our faith. And this is what you do when you are climbing out of the sinkhole. You want to climb out of the sinkhole that's in your life? You should start following these steps that we're going to outline from this passage today. There are three practices to help you grow in your faith. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Focus on God, not on your circumstances. Focus on God, not on your circumstances. If Peter was a blogger in America, a Christian blogger today, he might have written, woe is me and woe are we. Poor, abused, neglected Christians. This used to be a Christian nation and it's not anymore. And oh my gosh, the politics are turning against us and the sky is falling and it's awful and it's depressing and we need to vote for more Republicans and uh, go Trump. And he might have been writing all of those kinds of things, bemoaning the pain and the difficulty and the frustration of the current situation for Christians in America. But he didn't write that kind of thing, did he? Actually, I think if Peter were blogging today, he would have written almost exactly what he writes now. We have great expectation. We have tremendous hope. Because his focus was not on the circumstances. His focus was on God. Look at the first words in verse 3. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is by his great mercy that we have been born again. That word praise is a Greek word, eulogetos. Everybody say eulogetos. There you go. This is your Greek lesson for the day. Uh, it's where we get the word eulogy from. It's translated praise. Uh, it's, it's bigger than that. It's more like a speech or writing in praise of a person or as a term of endearment. Uh, in other words, uh, you know, most of the time a eulogy is at a funeral. But Peter was saying, we have a eulogy for God every day while he's alive and while we're alive, we will praise him all the time. We will continually let his praises fall off of our lips and flow out of our mouths. Praise. Why? Why did he praise God? Life was rough. Have you ever not felt like worshiping? Have you ever come into church on a Sunday morning and been like, I know I'm going to need this, but I don't really feel like it today? Anybody be honest and say, I've been there? Yeah, me too. Well, that is when we eulogetos. We praise him Anyway, we focus on God's goodness rather than on the garbage that's in our lives. Why did he praise God? He praised him for his mercy. He said it is his great, by his great mercy that we have been born again. Let's talk about what that word mercy means by talking for just a minute what, about what another word means, grace. We hear the words grace and mercy frequently used together, and sometimes people will use them interchangeably, but they mean different things. Grace is giving someone what they don't deserve. So if you have a child that misbehaves all day long and then you decide today's the last day that the cone is open here in Cincinnati, right? This is the last day of the season and you're, you go home and your kid acts like Satan all day long and you decide to take them to the cone tonight anyway, that's grace. You're giving them what they don't deserve. They definitely don't deserve a reward. Uh, that's grace. What do, they, what do they deserve? A beating, right? 
Um, they, they deserve to be grounded, have their Xbox taken away forever. Uh, no more Minecraft, no more YouTube. Uh, take away the things that are important to them uh, because they've been bad. That's what they deserve. Well, mercy is not giving them what they do deserve. Grace is giving someone what they don't deserve. Mercy is not giving them what they do deserve. So what does the child deserve? A beating. But if you don't beat them, I'm not, I'm just kidding, by the way. Don't send me an email or, email or uh, review our church online and say, this church believes in abusing children. We don't, okay? It's a joke, people. Uh, but um, uh, anyway, uh, you know, they deserve to get in trouble, but if you let them off, you're showing them tremendous mercy. Then you take them to the cone. On top of that, you're showing them mercy and grace, right? Uh, so uh, God has shown us tremendous mercy here, Peter is talking about. What is mercy? God has not given us what we do deserve. He's praising God because God has not dealt with us in a way that is deserving. What do we deserve? The scripture says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. God deals with sin harshly. He is a God of justice. And there will be punishment, a reconciliation for sin one day. But in Jesus, God took all of the pain and the agony and the suffering and the punishment that sin deserves upon himself so that we could be forgiven. So how do you avoid God's judgment one day? You accept what Jesus took on the cross on your behalf. He took the judgment. He took the punishment for you. That's what it means to be a Christian. Being a Christian does not mean I have to go sign up and become a Republican. No matter what people in politics may tell you. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you have to get a bumper sticker put on your car, the little Jesus fish thing. Being a Christian does not mean that you have to start talking funny. Oh, bless you, brother. You know, none of that stuff. Being a Christian means I have chosen to accept what Jesus did on my behalf. To reject that, there's a huge consequence. You're saying, I'm going to take the punishment for my own sin. Now, who in their right mind would want to make that deal? When Jesus has taken the punishment for you, accept it. Scripture says the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. God has not dealt with us as we deserve. And therefore, we always have a reason to eulogetos, to praise. When things are bad, when things are painful, when things are difficult, and I guarantee you they will be, you always still have a reason to praise. If you are a Christian, you can get through those times because you know, no matter how bad this is, I deserve a lot worse. But God is going to spare me of it. God has forgiven me. I have hope in Jesus. There's always something worse than what you're going through, and that's something worse is having to pay for your own sins. If we remember that, we can focus on him, not our circumstances. To grow in our faith, focus on God, not your circumstances. Jesus said in John 16, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have, what does the scripture say there? You will have many trials and sorrows. Was Jesus right when he said that? You bet. But take heart. Because I have overcome the world. No matter what you are going through, if you focus on him rather than circumstances, you can get through the sinkhole. Now, I'm here to tell you this is not easy. And it's something personally that I work on all the time. When things are hard for me, I am the type who has a tendency to sit down and to look at all the frustration, the junk, and really ruminate over it and focus on it. I tend to be a worrier. I tend to worry about the future and not having enough money for retirement or not being prepared to send the kids to college or, uh, you know, all of these kinds of things. I think about that kind of stuff a lot, and it really is difficult for me. 
Anybody willing to admit that you're that kind of person too? Yeah. Uh, what we struggle with is looking at our circumstances rather than looking at God. Another thing that we struggle with is we f- struggle on looking at an imaginary future, the one that we're worrying about, rather than the future that Jesus actually has for us. And that's where we come to the second thing. The second practice to help you grow in your faith is trust that God is faithful. You have to trust that God is faithful. What that means is you look at the past, at his faithfulness, and you know the best is yet to come. You remind yourself he's going to do even greater and even more than he has done in the past. Look at what Peter says in verse 4, 1 Peter 1, 4. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach and change of decay. Peter could have been saying, and gosh, you know, you, you Christians in Asia Minor, I know you're persecuted, I know it's hard, I know it's difficult. And man, it's, it really stinks being you. Old Bob was arrested and thrown in prison. Sarah was beaten to death. Jim was crucified. Steve was burned at the stake. It's really bad for you guys. I get it, man, praying for you. But he didn't write that, did he? What he said was, we have a priceless inheritance. This thing in the future that we can focus on and, and, and uh, keep our attention riveted to, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. When you face sinkholes in life, trust that God has something better for you in the future. Does it mean that your future here on earth is going to get better? Not necessarily. It could get worse. It can get worse, folks. Sorry. But you know what? When you are a follower of Jesus, because you have accepted what he did for you on the cross, because you let him take your punishment, Scripture says, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. We are clothed in the righteousness of God, meaning heaven is ours. And one day, you're going to walk on streets, not of asphalt, but streets where the asphalt is gold. One of the most precious things on earth they use for streets in heaven. Can you imagine what the rest of it must be like? What's my toilet going to be made of in heaven? I mean... Phenomenal when you start thinking of the the garbage that, that we use to pave roads is gold in heaven. No more suffering, no more pain. The the older you get, you you'll relate to this, the more pains you notice in your body. Now, if we're all honest, if you're sitting here right now, if you just stop for a second and close your eyes. And, and think about your body right now. Something hurts. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm thinking about it right now. I'm like, my hips, my knees, pretty much everything south is not working right. I mean, it's just, it's all broken and sore and stiff. And, um, and it gets worse. If I think about it, this finger hurts right here. Because I was drilling something this week and the, the screw slipped and the, the drill bit or the... the a screwdriver bit on the end went and tore up my cuticle real good and bruised the nail. And this stupid little finger is driving me crazy. Man, how am I ever going to pick my nose again? I don't. I'm just kidding. Uh, it, it's sore. It's tender to touch things. You think about it, and something in your body is aching right now. And the older you are, probably the more aches you notice. When you wake up in heaven, you're not going to go, oh, what kind of stretch my back? You know, none of, you're going to get up in the morning and be like, I didn't know I was a morning person. (laughs) It's going to be perfect. The way God intended us to be. You see, the reason we experience pains here is because sin has spoiled everything. Sin has tainted God's creation. His original intent is that we would be at peace 
that we would not be experiencing pain, that there would be no death. But sin brought suffering in the world. One day, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have tremendous hope. Because one day, we know we will stand before our Creator, we will lift our hands in worship, and we will say, you are wonderful, great, good, holy. We love you and we praise you because you did not deal with us as we deserved. And on top of that, you've given us far more than we could ever possibly imagine. Lord, you are good. That's what we have to look forward to, to folks. Uh, uh, my kids once asked me, one of my kids, I don't remember which one, don't you think heaven's going to get boring? I mean, won't it get boring just like praising God all the time? Not at all. Because when you think about how cruddy it is here and remove all of that and think about how perfect heaven is, we are always going to have at the forefront of our minds reasons to worship him and adore him. And he's going to give us mansions, Scripture says. You're going to get to chill out in a house that you always dreamed of. Better than what you always dreamed of. The stuff on MTV's Cribs, no comparison. You got a bowling alley in your basement? I got 20. It's going to be better than you can imagine. This is the inheritance that we have that is kept in heaven for us, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Trust that God is faithful. How many of you love going to the dentist? Raise your hands. One psycho, two psychos. I'm going to pray for you crazy people. I do not love going to the dentist. Now, it's nice when you get your teeth cleaned. I love that feeling. You leave the dentist after getting them cleaned, and they're like, mm, man, that, my teeth are all smooth, and, and uh, oh, it's really, really good. By the way, don't eat sour candy after going to the dentist. Um, it, it'll turn your face inside out. That, that's a dare, actually. Uh, if, if you want to experience some agony, get your teeth cleaned, and then go get a pack of Sour Patch Kids, and just gorge them all down. You'll be like, have you ever seen SpongeBob when he gets those weird faces, and his face is all wrinkled and kind of sunken in? You'll look just like that. Um, and uh, so anyway, you go to the dentist, though, and what does the dentist do? The dentist pulls out chains and saws and spikes and drills and hammers and chisels and sticks them in your mouth. And all the while, he does it smiling. And he's talking to you like, you know, everything's normal. You, so you got this stuff in your mouth. So what do you do for a living? I can't answer this. Are you crazy? And somehow he's able to interpret your moans and grunts. And he understands, oh, you're a pastor. That's exciting. I'll pray for your ministry, you know. And um, uh, all the while, all I can think about, I have like really, really major problems with needles, okay? And you go to the dentist, and what's one of the things that he does to fix your teeth? pulls out a needle, and gets really happy with it. I mean, he goes to town and sticks it in like 15 different little places all in a millimeter. How in the world do you do that? The guy's got incredible aim, and he's squirting all this Novocaine into your gums over and over and over, and so it gets numb, and your face is hanging down, and you can't talk very good, and you're drooling, and it's uncontrollable, and everything feels weird. Um, and, and my dentist in Oklahoma City had this great idea. He hung lots of TVs up in his office, and they were up high where you could lay there and watch them, and so you had a distraction, right? Uh, and, and what I learned at the dentist is that you can look up and trust. You just lay there and look at the TV, watch the prices right, and trust that this guy is going to fix your mouth. When you are in the sinkhole, when you are struggling with your faith, look up and trust. God is faithful Second practice to help you grow in your faith is to trust that God is faithful. The first one was to focus on God, not your circumstances. And number three, the third practice to help you grow in your faith is to understand the truth about trials. Some of you may be here today and say, you know what? I hear stories 
about God's faithfulness from people where uh, they lost their job, but God took care of their finances all the way through it. And they never missed a house payment. But he didn't do that for me. I missed some house payments. What about me? Maybe you're wondering that. Maybe you're feeling like, well, I hear stories about other people where God saved their marriage, but he didn't save mine. Where was he in the middle of all of that? A lot of times we struggle with the times where we feel like he didn't come through because we don't understand the truth about trials. The truth about trials is this. They're there. They're coming. There will be plenty of them. And God has a reason for them. He will use them all. Here's what Peter says in 1 Peter uh, 1, 6 through 7. So be truly glad. There is, a one, there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Here's what Peter tells us in these few words. Number one, he says trials are temporary. They're just a little while. It's many times hard for us to get out of in-the-moment thinking, isn't it? We get so caught up in what's going on, that's all we can focus on. And Peter is saying, don't focus on the past Don't focus on the present. Focus on the future. Trials are just temporary. There is hope. Second thing he tells us is trials are necessary. They are shaping us into the people God intends us to be. Did you know God wants more for you than you want for you? And he wants you to become better than you already are. You may look in the mirror every morning and go, I'm pretty good. I don't. I look in the mirror and go, ooh, cover it up, <laughs> right? Um, and <laughs> don't want to look at that too long. Uh, he wants better for us than what we have right now. We have it hanging on the wall out here in our lobby. Jesus takes us as we are and loves us too much to leave us that way. Jesus is shaping us and changing us and molding us. My wife went to a conference this week and heard a, a guy speak named Eric Mason, and he talked about trials and problems and challenges in our lives and he said that uh, we are like a stone that bears the image of Christ the image of Christ is in this stone somewhere but to get to it for God to find it in us and to reveal it in us he has to chisel away at that stone and chiseling is uncomfortable and it's painful and it's difficult but for the the image of Jesus to become a reality in your life You have to go through trials. Scripture says that they are necessary. Peter also tells us that trials are precious. Next time you're sitting in the hospital wondering about a diagnosis, you can say, thank you, God, for this priceless gift. Next time you get fired or there's a difficulty in your marriage or a relationship in your life or something horrible happens, It is possible to say, thank you, Lord, for this priceless gift. It hurts, but I know you are going to use this for good. Why are trials precious? Because they lead us to our Heavenly Father. When a kid scrapes his knee and comes running to mom and dad, is that child running to mom and dad because mom and dad make the pain go away? No. You can hold the child and swing him and hug him and rock him and kiss him and pray for him and encourage him and do all of these things and the pain is still there the child comes to mom and dad because the child wants assurance that this will one day end will it stop hurting yeah in a little while we can go to our lord and he will hold us and say this is just for a while Isn't that precious? I mean, there are times in my life where I wish my kids would crawl back up in my lap and and long for my comfort and encouragement like they used to. If they did now, they'd crush me because they're big. 
But I miss that. It was precious. Trials are purifying, Peter tells us. Gold, when it comes out of the ground, is kind of ugly. Many of us would miss it if you were sifting for gold like they do on, on those Discovery Channel show, shows where they're always digging for gold. They're always looking for little teeny itty bitty pieces, stuff most of us would miss. If you were like the uh, guys prospecting for gold in Colorado and whatnot, digging caves, trying to find, uh, digging mines, trying to find gold in mines, you might find larger chunks of it, but it's mixed up with all kinds of grit and grime and other minerals and dirt and crud, and it doesn't look very good when it comes out of the earth. You, you don't take a piece of gold straight out of the ground and slap it on somebody's finger because it's not pretty it has to go through a refining process it has to be burned it has to be tortured it has to be mashed it has to be bent it has to be shaped it has to be molded it has to be polished if you were the gold and you were experiencing all of that you'd say ouch well we are like gold God is refining us purifying us at the end Of all of this purifying, what's left? Something priceless. At the end, when we stand before God, and all of the trials on earth are over with, if you are in Christ, what is left is priceless. I love what Martin Luther, the great reformer, once said. He said, adversity is the best book in my library. Pain shapes us, changes us, challenges us. Trials are a precious, priceless gift. Now let's look at verse 7 again. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, what happens? It will bring you, who? You. Much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Praise and glory and honor will come to you. Now, remember when Peter got a pat on the back from Jesus? a boy, Peter. You got it. You acknowledged, I am the Christ. I'm proud of you. Man, God revealed that to you. You were the only guy here that got it. Way to go. You're student of the week. When we endure through trials, one day we'll stand before him. And he will give to us praise and honor and glory. Isn't that humbling? Won't that be amazing to have Jesus reach out and pat you on the back and say, you did good? I'm proud of you? Man, I look forward to that moment. We are like children. We long for our Heavenly Father to praise us. And you did good. We're like puppies, right? Good girl. Good boy. You did it. Now, maybe you're still thinking, that's all well and good. But, Alan, you you don't understand what I'm going through. I just don't think I can be as positive about my suffering as Peter is suggesting. That's a fair thing to think. But I want you to remember Peter's context for this message. John chapter 21, we looked at this last week, verses 18 through 19. Jesus said to Peter, I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to him. Uh, uh, Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter, Jesus prophesied to him, you're going to suffer when you die. You're going to die an awful death. People are going to take you where you don't want to go. But it's going to glorify God. And it happened. The, the world in which Peter lived, Nero was the emperor. Nero went nuts and lit his own capital city on fire, Rome. Rome. Lit the city on fire, burned it like crazy. Thousands of people injured, dead, lost everything. And he blamed the Christians. And he started to persecute Christians. He threw parties where he would 
uh, at, at night where he would light the parties by putting Christians' bodies on stakes and burning them. And people would be eating their caviar and chilling out, hanging out by a burning body. He would, for fun, tie Christians to the back of his chariot and drive them around town and drag them all over the place until they were dead. This is the world in which Peter writes these hopeful words. As bad as it it is for you right now, if anybody understands, it's Peter. He knows what it's like to go through that. Fox's Book of Martyrs tells us that Peter's wife was being taken away to her death, punishment for being a Christian. And Peter's last words to her were, oh, remember the Lord. And then when Peter was found guilty of crimes against the state for being a Christian, they were going to crucify him. And he said, I don't deserve to die the same way as my Lord. If you're going to crucify me, crucify me upside down. And they did. This is the world that Peter was living in. And he could say, there's hope. There's hope for you in your sinkhole. It's in that kind of world that he wrote these words, 1 Peter 1.8. You Christians, you love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Now, did every Christian have those words and live out those words that Peter was writing to? I don't know. But Peter was speaking positively over them. And he was saying to them, you're better than to whine and moan and complain and to be stuck in your pain, stuck in your present, even stuck in your past. You guys can do better than that. You're better than that. You Love Jesus. Remember, this is 30 years after Jesus had left, so many of these Christians weren't even born when Jesus was killed and resurrected. You love him, although you haven't seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Joy that is so profound, it's hard to even put into words and explain it. This is the world in which Peter writes. And the reality in that world was there were Christians who no matter how bad it got, could still say, the best is yet to come. If that was true for them, it can certainly be true for us. It's possible. You can love the Lord, trust the Lord, and rejoice in Him, even when life makes you really not feel like it. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to the Invictus Church Podcast. Be sure to tune in every week for more new content. We'd like to invite you to join us in person for our weekend worship services. To get more information about our meeting times and location, please visit us online at www.invictus.church. If this or any of our episodes have inspired you to take steps in your relationship with Jesus, please let us know by sending us a note at info at invictus.church. We would love to hear how our message has helped change your life. Also, if our podcast has been meaningful for you and you'd like to give financially to our ministry, you can easily make your contribution online at www.invictus.church. Thanks one more time for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week.